0: I didn't get to email her notes from last week, uh, but I will this week. She was in Florida gallivanting, and so um, she sent me her notes now, and I can get them out to you, but last week was fantastic. So I want to do a quick review in case I think a couple of y'all weren't here um, for what she covered last week. It was really pivotal for what we're trying to talk about. And, um, of course, my role in the class has been more practical. We're trying to – she's kind of given us this rich – theological foundation for pra- the practice of forgiveness. And I'm trying to help us put our minds around that and think of um, easy, practical ways that we can begin ourselves You know, to, to uh, work on the hurts that we have. So here's a quick review for her, um, what forgiveness is and what it isn't. It was a really important conversation. And all of the material that we've read and studied in preparation for this class devotes a section early on in the study to what it is and what it isn't, because a lot of times we, through our our culture, kind of lump some things. Come on in. Good morning. Welcome. We try, we tend to lump some things into the the topic that maybe don't necessarily need to be there. Um, In fact, when you grew up, you probably remember the, the cliche, forgive and forget. Well, one of the key components that Mallory mentioned last week, that forgiveness isn't forgetting. And so that's, that's a bit of a misnomer, um, for, to the cliche to say forgive and forget, as if they always go hand in hand. Uh, they just don't. And so I appreciated what she shared last, last week. Uh, so here it is. Um, forgiveness is both possible and essential. Forgiveness is not dependent upon an apology from the wrongdoer. And I'm going to share um, a video this morning that will kind of reinforce that idea. It's heroic. Forgiveness is a choice it's not a linear process with sequential steps. You know, as Westerners, we tend to, th- we, we tend to think in steps, and I, and I confess I'm thoroughly a linear person, but uh, I appreciated her pointing that out, that uh, just as the title implies, it's, it's messy. It's not linear. It's not something that's just this easy step process to walk through and then suddenly everything's better. So we want to acknowledge that. Um, Forgiveness is a refusal to contribute to the cycle of wrongdoing and revenge. And you'll see that in this morning's video uh, where uh, to, to push back against the powers of darkness that, that control unforgiveness, it's really important to understand that we play a role in breaking that cycle and sort of interrupting that cycle that can be so damaging. Uh, forgiveness is not pretending that what occurred was right. Uh, It is concerned with justice. Forgiveness is an invitation to glimpse the kingdom of God and live into that reality. And we'll talk a good bit about that this morning. Uh, Forgiveness is for the sake of the offender and the offended. Um, You know, it's a great place to start in this practice in believing that it's predominantly for us because we want to sort of flesh out this bitterness and resentment that's in our own heart. And so predominantly it is about us. But it's also a very healthy practice to acknowledge and understand that it's also about the other. Um, and Mallory did a good job of, of expanding on that last week. Um, forgiveness is not a devaluation of your worth. Um, it's not forgetting, as I mentioned, and it's not the same as reconciling. Now we'll spend the last week of the class talking about how forgiveness and reconciliation uh, do go together and how they often go together, but they may not always go together. And so one thing that we'll share later in, in later weeks is that forgiving um, might be followed by a reconciliation or a renewal of a relationship, but it might be uh, followed by a a releasing of that relationship. And uh, that, that would be an important thing to talk about. So um, here, here's some of the goals. I want to I want to kind of keep coming back to our class gold. Uh, as Mallory has worked on just this theological framework, forgiveness, it's important to understand what the Bible says about forgiveness and how the image of Jesus and us as created people um, can work together to, to be forgiving people and, and, and um, have that as a practice of the Christian faith. I'd love for you to name a hurt personally that needs to be forgiven. You may not name it here, but at least in your walk uh, through or after this class, you'll be naming a specific hurt that you'd like to, to put in the past. Um, and as I said, I'm working on these transformative tools for forgiveness. We believe it's a spiritual process. We believe that it's deeper than psychotherapy. While that's a perfectly valid profession and um, field of, a field of study, uh, we're talking about something broader than just um, healing our, our emotion. Um, we'd like to learn imaginative, preemptive forgiveness. There's things that you'll face in the future that you don't even know you'll face, and that I'll face. And so I hope that some of these tools and this practice will begin uh, gaining deeper roots in our faith, in our our life as disciples, and so that when those things occur and when those hurts occur, you'll be better equipped to face them uh, than before. And then, as we've already heard, stories of others' journeys uh, with this process of forgiveness. They can be so encouraging, so strengthening. Uh, Nadine shared a couple weeks ago, and our guest Tanya Thomas, unbelievable stories. Um, and we'll, and we've, we've continued to share a little snippet videos of people we don't know. But those stories help uh, increase our imagination for what's possible with humans. Um, and As you've seen in some of the videos already, hopefully um, the, the limit is just... It's really, high, it's really high up there in terms of what people are capable of. Um, here's some of the resources we've been using. I've leaned heavily on the book by Desmond Tutu. and We'll, we'll spend a good bit of time there this morning. Um, but excellent book if you want to get some of these. Uh, the Gospel of Happiness. There's one chapter in particular by Kayser Kaxer um, that's fantastic on forgiveness. So here's the uh, video. It's just three or four minutes. A, a compelling story I'd love for you to think about this morning.
1: We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, It would be Mary Johnson.
2: For all you've done for me. He
1: never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Laramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child.
3: My son
2: was gone.
1: The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years. O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. That I was befuddled myself. Mm -hmm. O'Shea says they met regularly after that when he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive.
2: Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me.
1: For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it. Singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing, which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all
2: you've done for me.
0: So truly. Um, an amazing story, for sure. Love it in the in the video when they show the apartment numbers nine hundred two to nine hundred four. Um, so earlier in the class, I um, made I, I encouraged you all to begin thinking that to truly transform the the dark places in our hearts, we have to tie this practice of forgiveness to spiritual warfare. Right? It's not. Um, it's not just psychotherapy. It's much broader, it's much deeper. This is, you know, the, the forces that we're talking about, particularly in a situation like this, and um, they're so much more cosmic, right? These are, these are, this is a dark thing. This involves murder and uh, the kind of resentment that could have grown in her heart, the kind of bitterness that, it sounded like it at least had a hold of her for some time. Um, was so powerful, and, and that that only the Spirit of God, I think, could lead her to to um, accomplish this, the forgiveness to the level that she has. And so we we've spent time on this passage, and I want to continue to bring our minds back to to the idea of the armor of God, and this will play into later weeks when we begin talking about that preemptive forgiveness, because there is training that we can do. There is there are things that we can. Um, do in terms of our discipleship that not only uh, help us forgive for things in the past, but they will begin helping us forgive in things that we've not yet encountered. And so I do believe that um, this messy, beautiful kingdom practice of forgiveness is inseparable from this um, spiritual warfare notion. And if you think about some of the things that she said, she alludes to the evil and the darkness and, and the unforgiveness and the way it eats at your heart and your soul. Um, so it'd be, a gra- it'd be a grave mistake to reduce this practice to merely psychotherapy. Um, the spiritual warfare paradigm we've mentioned, and this is just a review, but um, it does these three things at least among many. Um, it lets us know that God's kingdom is true because uh, think about the Lord's prayer. We, we, we pray God that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're actually praying daily uh, and weekly here at Otter Creek that that God's will, that God's goodness, that God's peace will will push into this earth, will invade this earth. So we're actually, as disciples, we're praying this into reality because we believe that the kingdom of God is the truest reality. It is um, who we are. It is where we are moving toward. Um, And so we pray that prayer. And um, you can see in this lady's story that by forgiving, she's inviting a bit more of the kingdom of God into the world, right? She's, she's actually made the kingdom of God a truer reality because of her choice to forgive, because of her practice of forgiveness. Now, she actually said, it's for me, it's for me, but we can see in O'Shea's life that in fact it was for him. It's, it's helped him uh, in his heart, in his healing, in his recovery, and he's still working on self-forgiveness but living next door and creating this story together has made the kingdom of God a true reality for all the people that have been witnesses to what's happening to them, right? This is on national news. So now think about how many more people have tasted the kingdom of God because of her choice to forgive. So she's in fact helping God's kingdom become more true in this place. Um, The spiritual warfare paradigm, it leads us to transformative tools. You know, when you, when you are the kind of person that are fitting your feet with the gospel of peace every day, right? That's your practice. When that is your practice, you begin to transform as a human because you're not as easily offended, right? You're not as easily offended. Uh, we can look at 1 Corinthians thirteen and this image of love. We know that love's not easily offended, and so as as people of faith, as we practice these tools and these dis, uh, these Disciplines, we, we are transformed. We do forgive more easily. We do um, walk in peace more often than not. At least that's our goal. Um, and then thirdly, as I've, as I've said, we're preparing our, our way for hurts that we've not even yet experienced. We're going to be stronger people for when we do encounter those things that, that, that hurt us, that damage our hearts and our souls. Um, so here's the path that we've been studying uh, and and I, as I said earlier, I, don't, I really don't want to make this linear and sequential. Uh, I know from day to day I bounce from number four to number one to number three to number two. And, and, and then something will happen that makes me angry all over again, and you start right back uh, over in the process. And so there's no while I have them numbered, there's no magic to this. It's, it's really an ongoing thing. I hope that you all will see it that way. We spent some time um, a few weeks ago talking about telling the story and how important it is uh, particularly in traumatic abuse, um, to put the puzzle back together, uh, right? There's this memory, and, and it, initially there's, there could be so much hurt or trauma or abuse or, or resentment or hate that it's just the puzzle pieces are everywhere, and it's difficult, and it's uh, overwhelming. And so I really like this image of a puzzle on a table where piece by piece, we let the facts help us recreate what really happened. And I, I think you've, if you have not already had a situation like this personally, you've known somebody who if we could sort of pull the emotion out of the, the picture for just a moment and just retell the story fact by fact, we could at least get a clear picture on the table of what we're really talking about. And that's a really important part of the process of telling the story. And it's good to find a person that you trust, that you can just lay that story out on the table. And I know for me, as I've retold the story, if, if I can find a moment of, of um, objectivity, I can get a true picture of what happened, like re- what really happened. And so sometimes my emotion has a way of twisting or convoluting the story, but it's good to kind of, as a sounding board, put this story out there with a friend that you trust, or maybe even a piece of paper or maybe even the visual um, mm-hmm. imagery that Luana talked about that, that week uh, and the way that you, I think it was you did clippings and, and sort of put together almost a piece of artwork that helped sort of give a voice to what really happened. Uh, so telling the story is an important uh, part of the path. Today we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, naming the hurt. And so this is sort of uh, the, next, the next phase you might say. Um, Sometimes it's easier to dismiss the hurt we feel. You know, that's a very human thing to do, to uh, just not want to talk about it, to kind of bury it deep, to just want to forget it. Um, and that's an easy way to deny maybe what's really happened in our life. I love uh, some of the words that Desmond Tutu uses in the book, a harm felt but denied will always find a way to express itself. Have you seen that in your life? Um, you know, sometimes angry people, you know, have they're dealing with something, right? Uh, hurt people, people that exude some sort of antagonistic behavior. You can almost um, be assured that, that, that that's expressed, that, that, that outcropping that you see is an expression of something that's much deeper, right? We all know that. Um, another phrase that I loved in the book was giving the emotion a name is the way we come to understand how what happened affected us, giving it a name. So telling the story is one thing. That's just the facts. That's the objective piece. On this day, this person said this thing. We were in this building, and it, it, uh, and it uh, came out like this. This is what I said in return. So that's, what, that's sort of the telling the story part. The naming the hurt might sound more like when he said this to me, it embarrassed me. My friends were there, it made me feel worthless, it made me feel angry because I didn't want to have to deal with the embarrassment. So that's more what naming naming the hurt is about. It's getting very specific about what emotion it caused because until we name that emotion it's really then going to be more difficult to, to work on the forgiveness part. And so now in this phase we're dealing with more of the less objective more uh, subjective, more internal, more personal, uh, emotion-driven uh, conversation. Um, Tutu does a great job of talking about the old adage of sticks and stones may break my bones. You know, we, we've heard that all our lives. But in fact, uh, those names and those hurtful words and those uh, sort of emotional level subsurface things can be very hurtful. And to, to um, tell ourselves that they shouldn't be is probably not treating ourselves well. People can hurt us, words can hurt us. Um, things, uh, obviously physical violence can hurt but also sort of this um, emotional level abuse can can be just as damaging sometimes. Uh, neuroscientists have proven that a psychological wound such as being excluded or being called a name or being made, feel, made to feel uh, less than worthy or less than valuable uh, stimulates the same part of the brain that a physical injury stimulates Um, and so our brains process and feel these injuries in the same way I think that's a really important fact to understand as we approach uh, emotional wounds and trauma and abuse to our our person Um, tutu in the book does a great job of of talking about grief and you know we often associate grief w- grief with the loss of an individual actually death but uh, uh, grief is, is a uh, thing that our our minds our hearts use when anything is lost or whenever there's damage whenever there's trauma and so even psychological wounds our body tries to initiate grief and so um, the book, uh, for instance, does a great job of helping us understand how important it is to walk through the stages of grief, even uh, obviously in the in the in the case of a loss like a death, but also in the case of a physical wound or a trauma or in a, a situation of abuse or where forgiveness is needed. So, the stages of grief, um, well documented. Most of us have heard them at least in our life: denial, anger, bargaining, depression. And then finally, acceptance. And so it's, it's very um, uh, sort of a sister to the path that we're talking about, but um, something that we should probably think about. So today I'm saying that naming the hurt, you know, actually saying here's the emotion I experienced, here's the damage that occurred in this story, is very much the opposite of denial, right? So in the grief process, when you deny you say, I wasn't hurt, I wasn't damaged, there, nothing happened, I'm okay, I'm tough, I, I can do this. And, and you, you suppress that occasion and that memory. But when you name the hurt, in fact, you are not denying. You're saying, I'm, I'm hurt, this is how I was hurt. And so it's, it's really um, running in the opposite direction. It helps us uh, begin the process of healing. Naming the hurt begins to loosen that. That chokehold that um, I think Mary, her name was, uh, was was doing over this many year period. Uh, no longer could she be angry at this killer. No longer could she hold on to um, to unforgiveness. But she had to say, um, the the central character of my story is not going to be anger and resentment and the hurt that I've experienced. Um, I wanted to bring another. You know, the puzzle image is great for telling the story. For naming the hurt, I have this other image that I think is really helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful to you. Um, have you been to the optometrist before? I see a few of you that wear glasses. I know you have. Everybody's been to the optometrist, and you sit in the chair, and they put that big machine in front of your face, and they begin doing the one or two. Right? One or two. Well, okay, this is a little weird quirk about me, but. I'm such a perfectionist that I'm afraid I'm going to tell them the wrong thing and they're going to give me the wrong glasses. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like stressed about this process where number one and number two, and I want to get it right. And I'm like, well, that one, those two are really close and I'll ask them to see it again. And so, I, you know, I'll run them through that process of two or three times because I just don't want to get it wrong. I think naming the story is a little bit, naming the hurt is a little bit like that, where the puzzles on the table maybe you have all the pieces in the right place. Okay, I've retold the story. I know the facts. I've not embellished this story. This is really what happened objectively as I can. Now I wanna kinda zero in on exactly what I'm hurt about. What, What has offended me? What has hurt me? What has traumatized me? What did I feel in that moment of hurt? And I think it's sort of this process of like, well, it wasn't that so much. It was more like this. Um, no, it wasn't so much that, it was, it was more like this. And so I think it's this testing of really trying to clarify and, and just name what it is that bothered me so much about this occasion or this instance. Um, and so I, I think that's a helpful image for really zeroing in on the person, what they said, how they said it, what they did to me, to my family, to my spouse, to my, to my sibling, what really occurred in, in my heart on that day or that, that time period of my life. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot that plays into this. There's personality types, there's family of origin. All of, us have, all of us have radically different life experiences and a lot of things that can lead us to mishandle our hurts or to misname but I think I want to spend a minute hearing from you specifically in the area of culture. What about our culture drives us to not talk about our hurts? You know, we don't want to talk about it sometimes. We, we push it away. We don't want to name it. We don't want to spend time in this discussion. And I think I'm, I'm posing to you this morning that our culture is a, is a big culprit in that phenomenon that's happening right now in America. You can read a lot about how lonely people are and how they're suppressing hurt and there's depression is at an all-time high and lots of anxiety in our culture, lots of medication for those things and for the trauma, that, traumas that we've all experienced. Um, so talk about our culture. Think about maybe in your experiences, what about our society is saying, don't share, don't talk about it, don't, don't express, don't name the hurt? So suck
2: it up.
0: Yeah. yeah. Just get over it. Yeah. Try and push it the Yeah, two very popular expressions. I mean, you think about it, we've all heard suck it up and get over it. What else? Don't bring it into the workplace. Yeah. Kind of keeping those circles separate, right? You don't need to be crying at work about this. You don't, we don't want to bring that baggage here or, or don't bring that baggage into our, our family. You know, that's, so yeah, circles are real... Yeah, or this circle, of friends, or this church, you know. So there's circles that a lot of times we like to keep those separate for various reasons. Good good one. What else? I think it's hard within the church. Yeah. Because, oh, I can't stand it when somebody gives me
2: a scripture. Yeah. It tells me, you know, scripture says, or <laughs> well, exactly. you don't have a prayer. Is, is that, that, that the worst?
0: That? Yeah, the absolute worst. It shuts yeah. me down. <laughs> yeah. 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 What else? I
4: think fear rejection. Yeah. Fear
0: of judged. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You don't want to look weak. You don't want to be judged. You don't want to have have people say, "Well, that's a big problem." The <laughs> one walk away, and you feel worse.
2: Yeah. or maybe the whole week Yeah. it's like you suddenly realize oh my gosh I still need to address this and then I go
0: right back into being a nest mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah I have a, I have a uh, guy that's spent some time mentoring me over the years Randy Harris um, who often takes a silent retreat I think it's an annual tradition for him and I love hearing him talk about his experiences with those and he You know, one of the things he always mentions is what kind of junk bubbles to the surface in himself when he does that sort of turn the world off and get quiet. And, yeah, I don't think we want to deal with that. And So a lot of times we purposely suppress it because, you know, our culture keeps us anesthetized and really busy and lots of things right on the top of our brain. It allows us to kind of push that stuff back because we don't deal with that. It's too painful sometimes or it's too, too aggravating. What else? yeah that's a big one for me I hate to burden other people yeah. Ugh, my personality type you just cannot stand to be Debbie Downer right the negative guy in the room mm-hmm. that's right Dwayne Downer <laughs> <laughs> <it> <laughs> yeah 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 you got that Saturday Night Live kind of skit playing in the back of your mind where that wham, wham, wham music and it's like nobody likes that our culture wants to be so positive our culture once, once the motivator in the room that nobody wants to hear from well let me tell you about how I was wronged yesterday mm-hmm. anything else?
4: I think we have to be careful on both ends of that not to fail to be vulnerable for fear of that but also not to be the person that makes someone feel yeah. mm-hmm. like you're tired of hearing them complain or you're tired of hearing yeah. their story because I I mean, I think I could fall on either yeah. side of that. We were watching uh, The Voice, and this you know, there's always a sad story. If you've ever seen that show, there's lots of stories. And this girl was on stage in front of the judges, and she lets out some part of her past that was like 20 years ago. And I found myself going you're on the stage of The Voice, like, get over it. And I think that's, it's very tempting, you know, to not only fear being dismissed, but being dismissive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's some supply and demand at play there because if we want to be uh, the sort of culture that hears people out, you know, and lets them deal with their hurt openly, then there's got to be a certain number of people that are willing to do that or they're exactly right. They shouldn't open their mouth, right? Because we're all like, I don't want to hear from that person today. So, yeah, there's, there's a, a, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's a, there's a huge part of this discipline is becoming the kind of person that is willing to listen to someone else's junk because um, that's messy too, right? That takes time, and we don't want to weigh our hearts down with other people's. So We've got enough of our own. So a very good thought. Anything else? I think,
2: I think when you do encounter someone
4: who's like that, um, like, um, I'll get over it. It's not as bad as what I've been through.
0: Yeah. That you need to make a note that they're not a safe place. Yeah. And, and then it's okay to to not share. Yeah, just move on. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that touches on a couple of really important things that, that we. I'm not sure we've hit in this class or we've said directly, but yeah, we're at all different stages and levels and never should we compare to other people's hurts or never should we look at their situation and say it's not as bad as mine or mine's not as bad as theirs. You know, I listened to the testimony of Nadine and Tanya and while I've personally never experienced anything as dramatic as that, um, I, I know and can trust that they're the kind of women that understand enough about forgiveness that would never look on my... Little hurts and and sort of um, demean or invalidate sort of my my life experience. So that's a that's a, a an important part of it too. Um, have you ever seen this image? <laughs> Heard that expression? Yes. That is a uh, I think a very prevalent undergirding for our culture. I think this is Western culture to a to a T, uh, we all want to appear to be successful, powerful, and popular, alive, and motivated, and positive. Um, but we don't want to let people see us sweat. We don't want to let people see us hurt. Uh, we don't want to look like we're trying too hard. Uh, but under the surface, we are all encouraged to, you know, try really hard. But I, I think this plays into this cultural mindset. Uh, we don't want to look like complainers. That was mentioned. Um, we don't want to burden others. We want to be self sufficient. This is all very Western culture um, realities that I think are driving a lot of our problems with um, not being able to name the hurt, not wanting to name the hurt. All right, so this is a little tougher question. I'd love to know for you what's difficult about naming your hurts? For you personally, what's so difficult?
2: Is minor compared yeah. to some of these major, traumatic right. things. Yeah. And then the other is, if I named it someone who is totally removed from it, um, I don't know how they would uh, think. Because I have part two. If I if I open it up, it may hurt the person
0: that hurt me they don't intend to hurt Yeah, me. yeah. Yeah, if you don't want to change their reputation uh, or or make people f- Even a think of something thing, Yeah, yeah. And their yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's right. Um I think let's see today's little summary says find someone who acknowledge you and listen to your feelings without trying to fix them and we talked about this in the telling the story of the week, but who you decide to tell is really critical. Uh, sometimes it can be just a piece of paper in the beginning. Maybe it needs to be because it's, you've got some sorting out to do before, so as not to cause damage or, or to, to hurt something else or to, to cause more hurt. But yeah, there's a lot of thought and prayer that needs to go into who you tell. It might need to be paper. It might need to be a really trusted third party, a counselor, a therapist, or a spiritual director person that lives in another state has nothing to do with the situation. Um, uh, and eventually you might get to somebody in your circle. Uh, eventually you might get to that person that actually harms you. But there's some wisdom and and understanding that kind of needs to go into who to tell, especially in those initial stages of hurt. But that's a good that's a good thought. Other other holdbacks, you personally for me I guess me-
3: Yeah. And I'm the image in this image. I'm, uh, I'm not perfect, but I'm here for like my best friends. I'm here for my brothers and sisters. I'm here for pretty much anyone that's willing to talk to me. I want to be there for them. So it's like I feel like if I name it, then I'm allowing myself to be that person that they can't talk to. Like I'm the weak one now. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not able to listen to them and be there for them because I'm the one hurting. Mm-hmm. Wow! So it's like I don't want to. I guess shatter that image of myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just like to keep it there. So it's like, okay,
0: if I don't say it, people won't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's well said. And culturally, the we're sort of on steroids in that area because now, on Facebook and social media, you can, and the phrase is even popular now, curate your reputation. You can. You can decide exactly what image you want to project to people, and you can, you can tailor that to just make the image that you want. And it's, I think, um, yeah, I think we do that all the time. We're, just, we're sort of putting ourselves out there, and we're giving people the version of us that, that we want them to get. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Other thoughts? I think when
4: a big part of your hurt involves trust being broken mm-hmm. yes yeah. very it only seems logical not that we should be going on logic but it only when you are a very logical person the logic says mm-hmm. the way to avoid that kind of hurt again is to not trust anybody again and, mm-hmm. and you know I, th- I think it would be easy to come back and say you know you obviously have to find the right person to trust and But typically, when a trust is broken, it's from someone or some group of people who you felt you believed you could trust in the first place. You know, so I think sometimes you don't trust yourself to know (laughs) (laughs) who that is. You know, you just don't trust yourself to be able to um, discern who it is that you can um, name the hurt to. Yeah. I think in my case, um, it's that.
0: And a little bit of it is, I don't want to be defined by what that person has done to me. Yeah. Or can I just say that now? Continues. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over. And it makes me feel so stupid. Over and and over. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I I identify with all these things as well. Um, I think for me, I I hate being the complainer. I just hate being burdensome to other people. And um, yeah, I just would rather internalize it, kind of stuff it down, than than feel like I'm, um, you know, having to be that guy, yeah. I do think that if we stuff it too much, it comes out physically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It might be
3: mentally, it might be physically,
0: yeah. it might be disease or something, but it does come out yeah. if you don't name it. One of the earlier quotes I shared was, a harm felt but denied will always find a way to express itself. Mm-hmm. And we'll spend a whole week, um, of course Mary's a, a pediatrician, and she'll, when she comes back one of the weeks we have planned is how uh, studies show the overwhelming uh, truth to the physiological effects to resentment and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. So, yes, it, it finds its way out. It might be emotionally, it might even be physically. And there's lots of studies that show how, how physiologically we can be affected by this, what we would think would be just strictly an emotional thing. It's not. I'm a bit more of a
2: yeah? Mm-hmm. I do that a bad way. No, i think that's kind of healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And when they make it sound like it was trivial and trite and nothing and they don't even see it, it's not good. That hurts worse. It you hurts know. worse mm. because one, a little. Yeah. Uh two, I
0: imagined it. Yeah. Yeah. Three, it's really just not worth talking about. Yeah. I don't even know what the deal is and oh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, why dawdle about it if I can go ahead and nip this in the bud yeah. and
2: then to find out that a little bit of apathy or whatever it is that was communicated? Yeah. So, it's not so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you can't be healed when nobody knows
0: that there's been a wound. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. frustrating. Yeah. So what do you do if the person,
2: if the other person denies it, rejects it, doesn't know what you're talking about? Yeah. Then
0: you end up taking a class
1: like this. <laughs> 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 and, and that's really hard. I mean, because it's like, when you okay. realize that you know about sure the situation and that more than likely you're going to lose the relationship in a way
2: that even though you've suffered the answer. I haven't got the answers, and that's what I like mm-hmm. about a lot of this is I'm having to force myself to mm-hmm. say, Look, either God's a really good God or you know, something else is going on and I have to trust that what I feel is built in some way out oh of goodness and what they are is somehow good too. Yeah. And I have to trust that I, there will be a... Rep- something will, will heal itself that I can go on even though there's going to be a scar that goes really on And in. stand with Christian principles so that whichever way it goes, yeah. At least I can sleep at night. You know. You're healed. Yeah. 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 And like I said, you may I not be able to save the other person. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they may not ever appreciate the journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, it's like, okay, I know sometime I'll see this person and I'll probably bleed for a week. But at least I know that it'll heal up again and I'll be okay. Maybe I'll even be able to see the person again in several months down the road. Mm-hmm. The it won't leave me feeling bad.
0: Yeah. I guess that's what you call the forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Guess. Yeah. Um, well, that outcome is kind
3: of like why I avoid it. Like, I don't want to feel like yeah. that was insignificant to you, although it hurt me and basically, like, ruined my life. I, so to avoid that, I just don't acknowledge it at all. Yeah. So I just rather keep it with me. Yeah. So I know that it hurt me rather than knowing, okay, you didn't care about it, and it hurt me. Yeah. And
0: if, sorry, we're going late, aren't we? No, you're
2: good. Keep <laughs> going. What I love about Otter Creek and listening to Josh is this understanding that it's all a journey mm-hmm. and that sometimes I blow things up and make a mountain out of a molehill and other times it's like it's okay that you blew it up and made a mountain out of a molehill because you need to develop this skill because there's going to be times that it's going to be harder and more painful and worse. I don't know where it is, but let God, let God take it. And, and even if it seems trivial and silly, something good's going to happen that I need to have somewhere down the road or something else that's going to hurt. And maybe I can blunt the injury before it really leaves me just reeling again for blah, blah, blah years. Or, help, or help somebody else. Oh, yeah. gee, there's yeah. an idea I had Yeah. Out. yeah. It really does. It does, it does. My husband died five years ago, and I went into, like, four years of self-imposed isolation, church Sunday, church Wednesday, grocery store, manual labor, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. to get it. And, get and, I, and I got through it, and I got But four years yes. to get to be myself again yeah. instead of myself. With
0: yeah. Uh, but, you know. Wow. And that's, I'm talking in class. <laughs> yeah. <With> strangers. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Tell us and your. I think that that's that journey that you can't be ashamed that it took four years. So
2: yeah. Because yeah. other people, and it's like really, I've had some things, it's like it took you seven years just to get through yeah. this person said, I don't want to be around you. It, you know, and it's like you don't compare, but it's. Like,
0: Two things I really want to share with y'all before we leave. This, This poem is really kind of frames the last thought I want to share with you. Meet me here. Speak my name. I'm not your enemy. I'm your teacher. I may be even your friend. Let us tell our truth together, you and I. My name is anger. I say you've been wronged. My name is shame. My story is your hidden pain. My name is fear, my story is vulnerability. My name is resentment. I say things should have been different. My name is grief, my name is depression, my name is heartache, my name is anxiety. I have many names and many lessons. I'm not your enemy, I'm your teacher. And recently, a friend of mine pointed out something, pointed out this very thing, and, and then a spiritual director that I work with pointed out the same thing a couple weeks later. And so it's been kind of a recurring theme here in the last couple of months. So I think I'm supposed to share it. But when I feel hurt or when I feel some something that's outlined here, one of these, what we typically categorize as a negative emotion, I want to get away from that as fast as I can. And I want to, I want to kind of run from that because I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. But embracing the notion that the Lord might, in fact, want to teach me something with that emotion in that moment is really important. And um, the last thing I want to share with you along those lines is uh, something that a friend of mine wrote on Instagram the other day. And the same... This girl is amazing. She came through our campus ministry at Tennessee Tech. So she writes, When I was a kid, I used to hate cemeteries. I swore I could smell the decay. Plus, they were creepy. As I got older, however, I grew to appreciate their beauty, and now they've evolved into one of my favorite places to frequent. They stir up passion, vision, boldness, fearlessness, and love. Begin with the end in mind, I've heard it said. So I walk among the graves, soberly reminding myself that my own life is a mist here today and gone tomorrow. I sit and dream with God about the legacy. He'd have me leave behind, and I pray for the generations to come. I thank Him for the gift of breath, of life, of today. And I ask Him how, I, and I ask him how to practically live today with legacy, eternity, and His kingdom in mind. Isn't that beautiful? But it's the same idea. It's just we, we typically associate, whether it's death, anger, grief, fear, all of these negative things, we, we associate them with something that, that's n- not to be experienced or felt. But in fact, they could be your teacher. That doesn't lessen the pain, right? That is, that's no silver bullet and just making all this uh, feel better inside of ourselves. But it helps us to walk through this process with patience and trust in the Lord that Jenny talked about, that, that better days can come, that forgiveness is possible, that transformation is, is happening in our hearts, even though we're experiencing this really... Painful, hurtful emotion. Uh, thank you all for being here. I uh, really appreciate the co- the comments and the stories that you're sharing. I uh, hope you come back next week. I'll send out a, a slew of notes because I, I didn't get it to send out last week's, but um, I'll send out some notes from today and last week. But thank you all. Can you put a poem in there? Yes, I'll include that. Well, you want this that too. Anime. Sure. <laughs> awesome. I'll do it. it you know. I'll do it. Thank you all.